Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today we're going to look at Numbers chapter 24. And as we reach Numbers 24, we are going to finish talking about the story of Balaam and Balak. As you may recall, Balaam was a prophet from Mesopotamia that Balak, who was the king of Moab, he summoned to defeat the Israelites. Back in Numbers 23, we discussed the first two oracles given to Balaam. As Balaam sought the Lord's counsel, the Lord made his will clear. Israel would not be cursed because they're blessed. So Balak is a man that does not go down without a fight. And we're going to see in Numbers 24, he continues to ask Balaam to curse Israel. Back at the end of Numbers 23, we discussed that Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor to see if Balaam would curse Israel from, from yet a second location. He built seven altars, he sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. That made 21 bulls and 21 rams sacrificed in this story. So Balak is absolutely desperate for Balaam to curse his enemy. So let's begin by looking at our text in Numbers chapter 24. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as, the, as at the other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. God's message to Balaam continues to be consistent. He was with Israel. He's not going to allow Israel to be cursed. But there's something very interesting in verse 1. It says, Balaam did not use the same method of finding out God's will this time. It says he did not go as at other times to seek omens. So apparently the first two times that he approached God, he used omens or divination. Back in our podcast in Numbers 22, we discussed this idea of divination. Divination is using some medium to find out the will of God. Sometimes you cast lots. Other times they would look at the liver of animals and that would provide the clue of God's will. In this case, Balaam did not have to consult any medium. Why? As he looked into the wilderness and he saw the tribes of Israel, God's spirit came upon him. He didn't need any medium to find God's will because God was there with him. In verses 3 through 9, we see this message of, of a third oracle. I want you to look at how he starts the oracle. Starting with me in verse 3, he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. So Balaam says that his eyes were opened. I would hope so. 
I mean, after how God had shown up in his life in the last two chapters, you know, as we discussed, Balaam says that he hears the words of God and sees the vision of the Almighty. So God had spoken to Balaam in his house in Mesopotamia when the messengers came from Balak. God had spoken to Balaam through his own donkey, as you recall. And at first, his eyes were not open. I mean, even his donkey had better spiritual vision than Balaam, the internationally known prophet. But then God opened Balaam's eyes on the way to Moab. We saw that back in Numbers chapter 22, verse 31. So what were the words of this third oracle from God? Let's start looking at that in verse 5. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from his buckets, and his seed will be by many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries, and he will crush their bones in pieces and shatter them with his arrows. He crouches. He lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. They need to understand how valuable water was to see these ancient people in this land. The Israelites have been hiking in the desert for almost 40 years at this point. The oracle says that Israel would soon have an abundance of water when they enter the promised land and that water would be flowing. See, without water, Israel would not be able to plant gardens. They would not be able to sustain life. So except for farmers among us, we tend to take water for granted, don't we? Rains tend to get in the way of activities. Rain tends to get in the way of things that we want to do. But for Israel, rain was a sign that God was taking care of them because of their obedience to him. Why would they believe that? Well, this is what he told Israel. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear its fruit. Leviticus 26, verses 3 and 4. What does God tell Israel would bring rain? If you keep my word. So Israelites believe that actions impact rain. You know, the Jews still believe this today. If God's people do his will, rain will come. This is what God promised back in Leviticus 26. By the way, he makes the same promise in Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 and 14. So even today, Jews believe that rain is God's way of saying, Thank you 
for your obedience to my word. Thank you for your love for me. What if we view rain less as a nuisance and more as a blessing from God? What if every time the rain fell, it wasn't so much, oh man, my schedule's messed up. But what if we paused and reflected on Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 11 and say, thank you, God, for blessing me with this rain. Thank you for sustaining life. So our text says Israel would have water flowing when they reached the promised land. And that was a huge blessing. God is with Israel, it says in our text. In the oracle, we see that he is like a lion. Now, I want you to picture a lion in your mind. What do you see? See, I picture a lion lion, resting, but alert to its surroundings. See, yes, a lion has raging power when it's on the hunt for its prey. And it can display that power if it's provoked by quickly springing into action, right? But did you know that a lion's eyesight is five times better than a human's? Did you know that a roar of a lion can be heard five miles away? As Balaam shares the oracle that God is like a lion, he's warning Balak not to provoke God to anger. Balak had a decision to make. Bless Israel and be blessed or curse Israel and be cursed. Even though Balaam was internationally renowned prophet, he wouldn't be able to do anything to change the character and the will of God. So how would Balak respond? Look with me at verses 10 and 11. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. Therefore, flee to your place now. I said I would honor you greatly, but behold, the Lord has held you back from honor. You know, as as a human, it is natural to enjoy being honored. In my life, uh, the place I have truly felt honored the most is when I've been on mission trips overseas. I'll never forget Guatemala. People walked for hours to get to our medical clinic that we set up in the mountains in Guatemala. You would have thought when we pulled up in our van every morning that we were movie stars. People were just so excited that we were there, and that we cared about them. On another trip, I went to Zanzibar, Africa, and it was an incredible trip. Two and a half weeks, we were investing in these high school basketball players, and we got ready to leave the day before the end of the trip, and one of the players had a a flag that was from the school. And he gave it to one of our teammates. 
And he showed the rest of us and all of us were like, oh man, that is so awesome. That is a really cool flag. And those kids stayed up all night long making all of us flags as gifts. And I I say that because I felt the honor that they gave to me with that flag. That they would stay up all night long making that for me. Honor something that feels really good. By this point in the story, understand where Balak is. He's getting pretty upset. Three times, he asked Balaam to curse the Israelites. And three times, Balaam had instead blessed the Israelites. That wasn't Balak's plan. Did Balaam not know why Balak had invited him in the first place? But here's the kicker. Balak had promised Balaam to honor him greatly if Balaam had agreed to his plan. Now that Hebrew word honor, kabed, it means to be heavy or weighty. So if Balaam would have obeyed Balak and cursed the Israelites, Balak would have given him a great earthly honor. I imagine that Balaam would have been set for life. No longer would he have to worry about money. The riches would have been his for the taking. Now, up to this point in the story, Balaam was obedient to God over Balak. It's it's really ironic that Balak tells him, the Lord has held you back from honor. See, reality is this. Honor only comes from God, not man. That same Hebrew word, appears in in Psalm 24, verse 11. Listen to this text. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So the question we need to wrestle with together is this. Are we chasing honor from man or from God? See, earthly honor for man will never, ever last. But the honor given by God is eternal. So are we chasing after God and his will? Or are we busy chasing after earthly honor? See, my memories from the honor shown to me in Guatemala, and my memories and my African flag will fade away one day. But the honor that God bestows on me will never, fade away. So we must live our lives in a way to receive honor from God, not man. How did Balaam respond? Look at verses 12 through 14 with me. Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you had sent to me saying, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad, of my own accord. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. So since Balak's first messengers arrived to invite Balaam to Moab, Balaam has been consistent. He he would only speak what God had revealed. And it's easy to read these verses and be incredibly impressed with Balaam. What do we see about Balaam in the New Testament, though? Let me 
me read you a few verses about Balaam. 2 Peter 2, verses 15 and 16. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezir, who loved the wages of wickedness. He was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Jude 1.11. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for, for profit into Balaam's error. They have destroyed, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. One more. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you because you, you have there some who hold to the teachings of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to to commit acts of immorality. Was Balaam an Israelite prophet? Absolutely not. There is not a single ancient source that believed he was an Israelite. He was a pagan prophet. And Revelation 2 says that Balaam told Balak how to make the Israelites stumble by enticing them with sexual immorality and food sacrificed to idols. The fruition of that temptation, by the way, is found in Numbers 31. God sent a deadly plague on Israel because of the counsel of Balaam, Numbers 31, 16. So Balaam had a heart bent towards wickedness. And I imagine Balak is ready for Balaam to just leave and go back to Mesopotamia. I mean, after all, Balaam has already made things worse by blessing the Israelites rather than cursing them. But Balaam is not finished sharing God's word. It's time for the fourth oracle. Look at verse 15 with me. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. See, Balaam starts the same way he started sharing the third oracle. The only addition is that he now says he has the knowledge of the Most High in verse 16. Balaam is about to utter one of the most incredible prophecies in the entire Old Testament. Listen to these words. Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheph. Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also will be a possession while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion and will destroy the remnant from the city. This prophecy was interpreted for centuries before Christianity even came on, became on the scene. And it's given by a pagan 
It's given by a man truly unworthy to be used by God in the world's eyes because this man does not follow God. Yet, God chooses to reveal himself to whomever he wants to. So he reveals himself to Balaam. What is so incredible about this oracle? So why is it such an amazing, amazing prophecy? Well, in the future, it says a star and a scepter would arise out of Israel to crush the enemies. Now put yourself in the story because this is a twofold prophecy. First and foremost, it refers to a time when Israel would have a king that would defeat both Moab and Edom. In other places in the Bible, such as Isaiah 14, 13, by the way, a star refers to a king. When does a king defeat both Moab and Edom? We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. David fulfills this prophecy. Now, what happens with the kings of Israel after David? Did they follow the Lord? Did they obey him well? Not exactly. So Israel goes into exile. And this passage began to be seen in a new light after that. Because the second part of the prophecy would be that God would send a Messiah to come and he would be the star and scepter to deliver Israel from their enemies. Justin Martyr said this, Moses himself made it known beforehand that there was to arise a star, it were, from the seed of Abraham when he said thusly, a star shall arise from Jacob and a leader from Israel. Do we see Jesus fulfill this prophecy in any way? Do you see him being a star in the New Testament? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. See, the New Testament begins by saying that Jesus' birth was marked with a star in the east. That's interesting. Then, as we go towards the end of the New Testament, we read this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for, your, for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus ultimately fulfills the prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24. While David was the earthly king that defeated Moab and Edom, Jesus would be the ultimate star. He would be our Messiah that would defeat the enemy. But will we be like those magi in Matthew 2 that followed the star to worship him? It would have been a lot easier for those magi to simply stay in their hometown rather than following the star. That was a hard journey yet they were willing to do it so that they could worship 
the Messiah. May our hearts long to be with our Messiah, no matter if the journey is difficult. The final three oracles are found in Numbers chapter 24, verses 20 to 24. The enemies of Israel would be destroyed in the future. And as we get to verse 25, Balaam and Balak leave for their respective homes. I'm sure they were both upset with how things turned out. Israel was not cursed for Balak. Balak was not, Balaam was not going home with the money that was promised him. You know, Balaam would never make it back to his home. He was killed on the journey. We'll see that in Numbers chapter 31. Balaam is an extremely sad story. God revealed himself to Balaam. Balaam got closer and closer to the truth. He even spoke the words that God put in his mouth. Despite all of this, he never puts his trust in God. Being close to God is not enough. It doesn't matter how much we attend church. It doesn't even matter how much I read my Bible. Being close to God is not enough. Salvation happens when we, when we put our trust in Him. Life happens when we respond to His invitation and receive Jesus as our Savior. Is that your story? Please inspect your heart today. Make sure you're not like Balaam. God can speak through and use anyone, even people that are not believers. Do not simply be close to him. Trust him. Follow him. Seek him. Live for him. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today on Numbers 24. I want to invite you to reach out to me at any point. Contact information on Twitter. You can find me at Arbel Ministries, or you can email me, arbelministries at gmail.com. For more information on our ministry, go to arbelministries.com. It has information on our trips to Israel, as well as other events that may be coming up. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.